0: But if there is not a deal, we still need the Irish Protocol or the Northern Irish Protocol fully implemented. I'm going to miss being the pantomime villain. Hello and welcome to Brexit Republic, RTE's podcast on Brexit. I'm Tony Connolly, RTE's Europe Editor at
1: the Summit of EU Leaders in Brussels. And I'm Colm O'Mungine, RTE's Deputy Foreign Editor in Dublin. Each week, Brexit Republic brings you all the latest developments in Dublin, Brussels and London.
0: This week... Well, it's just hard to keep up. After 44 days in office, Liz Truss resigns as Prime Minister, leaving behind the wreckage of a radical but ultimately disastrous economic plan to borrow tens of billions of pounds in order to cut taxes.
1: And within 24 hours, there has been informed speculation, as we record this on Friday afternoon, that Boris Johnson yes Boris Johnson could get over the threshold of MP nominations to get into a runoff in a hastily arranged leadership race.
0: With a Taoiseach Michal Martin pointing to the Brexit referendum as the source of all the seemingly endless turmoil in British politics we'll assess the legacy of Liz Truss and where to now for the negotiations on the Northern Ireland Protocol. But first Tony you're as you say at
1: the European the summit of EU leaders in Brussels as they arrived at the summit yesterday, uh, Emmanuel Macron, the Taoiseach, uh, Roberta Metsola, the President of the European Parliament, all of them calling for stability, stability soon, and in the case of Roberta Metsola, a stabilisation of EU-UK relations. But what they need yeah. is for the madness to calm down.
0: Yeah, that's right, Column. Uh, leaders were arriving at the two-day summit yesterday when... The dramatic events unfolded at the lectern in Downing Street. Uh, they were doing their doorsteps uh, as they come into the Euro- the new European Council building, rel- relatively new. Uh, they-, they come in on the red carpet and they stop uh, and talk to the assembled media. Uh, and just as they were coming in, the, the news broke. Uh, some of us watched it live on our phones, uh, and there were gasps of shock and disbelief rippling through the assembled media. Emmanuel Macron spoke briefly about the need for stability. As you mentioned, he talked about having spoken to Liz Truss and having met her recently, of course, at, at the summit in Prague, which I think we talked about. Um, and uh, Taoiseach Michal Martin was asked as well when he arrived uh, what his reaction was to her departure. We can hear that now. I think what's important as Britain's nearest neighbour, we uh, have a significant economic and relationship and many other relationships with the United Kingdom. I think stability is very important and uh, we would like to see uh, the, the the UK system within its capacity to be in a position to uh, have a successor um, uh, selected as quickly as possible.
1: So Tony, there was a a level of expression of personal regret or personal sympathy towards Liz Truss for the predicament in which she found herself but there must be a level of frustration or regret over the entire situation as well because there seemed to be genuine progress towards mending fences. Okay, the Northern Ireland Protocol Bill wasn't being paused in the UK Parliament but Steve Baker a minister in the Northern Ireland office, had made the right noises when he apologised to Europe and Ireland over the approach or the lack of recognition of legitimate Irish interests in Northern Ireland heretofore. And Liz Truss, the person who had initiated the progress of the Northern Ireland Protocol Bill and seen as a Brexit bogeyman in the tradition of the hardest wings of the Tory party, despite her Remainer background, that she was somebody who might be keen to do business at a time of economic turmoil. And that's all just gone up in smoke.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think that that's a fair assessment of of where we are, Colum. I mean, it, it's important to emphasise. I think the the genuine sense that Liz Truss was trying to make an effort uh, at, a, uh, at, at a at international level by attending that meeting in Prague. This was the European political community, which was deliberately designed by Emmanuel Macron as a, a platform not just for those countries wanting to join the EU, uh, who felt that their accession process was somewhat moribund, but also a a forum for the UK to to come in and talk to EU leaders uh, as equals and to engage. And the fact that Liz Truss had agreed to do that was very warmly welcomed. That
1: process, Tony, shouldn't be underestimated, as I think yourself and a number of guests on on this podcast have pointed out before. The contact that used to happen between British ministers and their European counterparts around European Council meetings and British Prime Ministers and their counterparts at those kind of summits, the the like of which you're attending today when the UK was in the European Union, there has been somewhat of a vacuum uh, or, or an absence of opportunity to establish interpersonal relations and get things hammered out in a more informal setting before things, uh, I suppose, uh, post Brexit, we've seen a more a, a greater tendency towards megaphone diplomacy and people talking to each other through the pap- the pages of their respective newspapers, in the form of briefings, which is never really a healthy way to conduct things.
0: Yeah, I mean, let, let's face it: the, the 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 normal discourse between the UK and, and the European Union has been, uh, you know, d- deeply disfigured by the Brexit process that's you know it's been a very long and painful process as we know on the podcast Uh, and clearly that there have been times when there's been huge degrees of tension either through the Brexit withdrawal negotiations or the trade and cooperation negotiations especially when you had very divisive figures like Lord Frost, David Frost uh, in, in the negotiating seat um and you had hostile briefing in British papers and you you had you had very little back channel activity or informal uh, contacts. E- every meeting was usually a crisis meeting or a bad tempered meeting, um, and and relations have have suffered as a result. Uh, it's been a very um, adversarial relationship, if you like, uh, g- going back to to really to the to when the negotiations started and and a lot of that bad blood and bad chemistry has been around Ireland and the Irish border and the Northern Ireland protocol, um and s- suddenly in September we had a sense that that might be lifting that there was going to be a reset in relations, there was a much more positive atmosphere around especially between Dublin and London as well. Simon Coveney, the Irish Foreign Minister, had very positive meetings uh, and contacts with, with his new uh, counterpart, James Cleverly and the new Northern Ireland Secretary, Chris Heaton-Harris. And anyone you spoke to, especially on the Irish side and the UK side, talked about optimism and uh, a new uh, a new moment for a reset. And while I think it's fair to say that we hadn't seen the colour of the money just yet, we, we, we still were waiting for the UK to come forward with its ideas and compromises on the the Northern Ireland protocol and what to do with the Northern Ireland protocol bill um certainly the atmospherics were were very very good um and 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 now you know it's snakes and ladders we're back down to the bottom of the ladder and we don't know who's going to replace Liz Truss and what that will do to the process
1: Having said that post mini budget and the political difficulty in which Liz Truss found herself the European Union leaders must have been taking stock again and thinking well how long is Liz Truss going to be here and how far do we go in negotiations with somebody who doesn't have much of a shelf life
0: Yeah, I think there was definitely a concern once the wheels started to come off the the truss wagon very, very quickly and very dramatically that this would be a challenge for the European Union. At what point do they start to really get into the the nitty-gritty of of negotiations, make compromises? Because, of course, the EU will have to make some compromises on the protocol. At what point do they spend that political capital if their interlocutor is hanging on by a thread. Um, and in, in in that situation, first of all, does not have the bandwidth to pay attention to the, the detail of the protocol negotiations. And secondly, is going to be flailing around, looking for allies and support from the parliamentary party. And again, we've seen how often in the relationship between the EU and the UK, the need for right-wing Eurosceptic allies has skewed the way british prime ministers approach the european union and approach the negotiations and one fears uh, certainly that's it's a fear you hear in brussels uh, that that is going to happen again in the in the upcoming and very quick tory leadership contest right what influence will the right wing of the party have on who is selected and what their posture will be uh, as regards the protocol negotiations.
1: And, and that can't be discounted because the right wing of the Tory party it has the most effective whipping operation when it comes to causing trouble for any potential leader. And in terms of securing the nominations, the bar is quite high. The shortcut to 100 letters of support coming in is the first hurdle that any prospective candidate has to cross. And presumably they'll have to be all things to all people and push whatever complications that might bring about as Prime Minister, they could push that down the road and worry about that later. I mean, Boris Johnson being a past master of this, say what's necessary now and deal with the consequences later.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, Liz Truss herself is a prime example of that. She owes her, or owed rather, her premiership and her victory to the ERG, the European Research Group. She was not a front-runner in the early stages of the Tory leadership race in the summer. But when Suela Braverman, the Attorney General, fell out of the race, then right-wing support crystallised around Liz Truss, and she went on to win the contest against the odds, I would have to say, in the early stages. She, she wasn't seen as a very likely candidate. Uh, because she didn't have a big uh, initial base within the Conservative Party, Parliamentary Party. But of course, as the contest went on, she was getting more and more support from the right wing and from the Conservative Party membership. uh, And that's what won it for her. Um, Rishi Sunak at the time was somewhat tainted by this idea that he had betrayed uh, Boris Johnson by resigning uh, as chancellor on the eve of Johnson's departure, that was the killer blow. Um, So one wonders now what will happen this time around. And of course, as you say, it's a high bar to get a nomination. A 100 MPs have to nominate you. You know, you would have to say that looking at some of the uh, commentary today, Friday, Some leading figures within the Conservative Party, including Ben Wallace, uh, the defence minister who had been seen as a candidate, has come out in favour of Boris Johnson, as has Jacob Rees-Mogg and uh, uh, quite a number of other MPs.
1: uh, That said, the European Research Group, uh, Boris Johnson was their guy when he wanted to be leader of the Conservative Party. But he lost his sheen for them because members of the ERG became the CRG, the COVID research group, who weren't so enamoured with his support, if not observation, uh, of the lockdown. Towards the end, Steve Baker, a leading member of the ERG, at one point called for him to go. So... There will be no unity candidate this time around. Boris Johnson certainly would find it very difficult to be that unity candidate given the circumstances under which he departed relatively recently.
0: Yeah, no, you're right. There there definitely isn't a unity candidate for for, for the moment. Um and and let's face it, this is a deeply divided and fractious political party and opinion about individual candidates wax waxes and wanes uh, very dramatically. We, we've seen people like David Frost uh, deliver completely unambiguous support for Liz Truss uh, one week and then within a week, 10 days, he says she has to go. Um, so it's a very dynamic and somewhat surreal uh, and turbulent process seeing which candidate will command uh, the majority support. But I think there is a feeling that if Boris Johnson is going to go for this, he will emerge as the candidate of the right, Uh, partly because for them, it is so absolutely vital that they win the next election and stay in power. And there is this notion that whatever his faults and whatever about the catastrophic end to his premiership and the way he was drummed out of office that he is still somehow this Merlin figure who can win a general election uh, and get ordinary people, especially Red Wall voters, uh, to stay with the Conservative Party. So if Suella Braverman uh, isn't going to run, who else do you have on the right? Uh, Kemi Badenoch uh, has pulled out. So there isn't an obvious... Uh, candidate that would really attract right-wing support within the Conservative Party, except Boris Johnson. So that's why people are starting to take his candidacy serious.
1: Right. Even though uh, there there is still a parliamentary inquiry hanging over his head with a a a ruling yet to come on whether or not he intentionally misled Parliament, but notwithstanding that, through the prism that this podcast looks at things The litmus test for candidates to secure support from the likes of the European Research Group presumably is whether or not they support the passing and the implementation of the Northern Ireland Protocol Bill. Will that be watched with some nervousness? What rhetoric surrounds that if there is a competition for leadership of the Tory party? Or is that priced in, that that's just a box, whatever the next next leader will have to tick as a basic negotiating position and it will return to business as usual in terms of trying to seek compromise thereafter?
0: Well, first of all, uh, Liz Truss, of course, was the author and the champion of the Northern Ireland Protocol Bill, which, as we know, would rip up most of the protocol. And she hasn't fully disavowed it uh, in in her short term as, as Prime Minister. Even on Monday of this week, she spoke in the House of Commons and talked about the need for the protocol bill objectives to be met in the negotiations she was fully committed to the northern ireland protocol bill uh, and we already know that the european research group uh, is going to be meeting uh, in in the coming hours over the weekend and they will certainly be making demands of whatever candidate they opt for that that candidate he or she will abide by the sacred force and objectives of the northern ireland protocol bill uh, and that again is going to create this automatic tension with with the European Union. Now, I think that is going to be offset by the knowledge that the EU now has at the fragility of a a British government that has been so badly burned by the markets for uh, irresponsible economic policies. And if the markets decide that a trade war with the European Union is yet another irresponsible policy and then punishes the British economy through uh, bond spreads or, or yield yields or f- anything that forces up interest rates, uh, then the EU will be aware that the, the ability for um, the UK under a right wing prime minister to frighten the EU into accepting the Northern Ireland Protocol Bill uh, is going to be constrained right. by what the markets think of, so, of a potential trade war.
1: So, in your analysis, the, the recent events and how the markets have behaved, and the fate, the turbulent times that sterling has been through, and the spike uh, in in the bond yields in in the UK, that is is a new context for any negotiation with the European Union. Heretofore, damage to the UK was was almost notional. Those arguments were hashed out during the Brexit referendum. But now it's just got real because it's been seen in the markets.
0: Yes, I, I think that now is a new variable in in, in the relationship with uh, the European Union. Um, I mean, it, it, it's this idea that the markets no longer trust the political situation in the UK to be stable. And instability is not just a, a political problem. It be- can become an economic problem if you have... You know, if if the fruits of that instability means that you've got factions within the Conservative Party who come forward every couple of years with an ever more radical uh, program in order to seize control of the destiny of the Conservative Party, uh, then we've seen what happens when that uh, when Liz Truss tried that. It, it it was a complete disaster and uh, you, you know nearly caused extreme damage to the British economy. So so that mark of Cain is there. Uh, and it's there for the EU to observe it, when it decides uh, whether to call the UK's bluff or not on, on the Northern Ireland Protocol. And I think a key point will be what happens to Jeremy Hunt, who of course was drafted in as the, the grown-up in the room in the room as chancellor to steady the ship and completely tear up Liz Truss's economic program. Uh, if he goes, then uh, what, how will the markets respond to that? Um, so, you know, already, despite the bluster of the right wing in the party and the Eurosceptics about bringing back Boris, um, you know, th- th- there are new constraints uh, in play that were not there before.
1: The Conservative Party will have at the latest a new leader decided by October 28th, which is also the deadline for when a Stormont Assembly election has to be called if no new executive has been formed. I suppose how the DUP look at this and see their chances of their position being supported by whatever the incoming regime is in their dealings with the European Union will be interesting it'll be interesting to see how that plays up until the last minute they were still expressing their support for liz truss till the night before she went
0: that's right i mean it's 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 somewhat um it's somewhat emblematic of the dup's problem dup's problems over the past number of years that they have backed a tory leader only to be betrayed by that leader uh, when it came to it uh, and Who are they looking at now uh, as the next uh, leader of the Conservative Party? It's probably either uh, Rishi Sunak, who as the Chancellor and who uh, had been part of the Treasury orthodoxy, warning Liz Truss and warning Boris Johnson against a trade war with the EU. Uh, it'll either be him or it will be Boris Johnson who they cannot, for a moment, uh, trust because of his record uh, in in dealing with uh, unionism and the Northern Ireland Protocol. So I, I suspect the DUP is uh, going to they're going to keep their heads low uh, and not make too many pronouncements over the next couple of weeks. Uh, given the narrowness of the options that will be good options for them uh, when when the chips fall next week and
1: is there anything by way of technical talks that will continue no matter who the prime minister is does that uh, is there a timetable of talks already set up with meetings already happening or does that kind of stuff get put on ice until the political picture becomes clearer
0: Well the technical talks have been done at official level so one assumes that they will continue and from what we know about that uh, there has been a bit of a curtain drawn over uh, the the nature of those talks and what's been going on there but what we do know is that they have been going through in quite some detail all of the individual elements, uh, TRQs, tariff rate quotas on on steel for example, uh, customs, agri-food checks, competition rules, VAT, um, and and what I'm told is that the atmosphere in the room has been quite good, although again no evidence that the UK has really shown its hand on where uh, a deal might land. But certainly everybody has assumed, and, we, and we've been hearing this from Simon Coveney and his meetings with the UK, that they, up until the events of this week, they did seem determined to get a deal um, that would work and that everybody could live with. Um, But of course, you need political buy-in at at key moments and of course that's not going to happen now until there's a new leader in place and will that new leader take a different approach? Will they have a a more hardline approach to the the European Union and the protocol or will they they follow on the pragmatic path that seems to have been laid down by Liz Truss uh, despite her own original uh, issues with the Northern Ireland Protocol Bill?
1: You'd wonder, though, what value there would be in antagonising the European Union or entering into a more adversarial phase of a relationship with the European Union at this stage. I mean, is there much political capital at this stage really in holding the European Union up as the bogeyman in all of this? Are there many votes in it? Will it even unify the Conservative Party at this stage when people are looking
0: for stability and keeping a nervous eye on the markets? I mean, the the certainly, if you're talking about the the ERG, that's just generally a the the, the, the primus inter pares of, of, of the demand that they will make on a new prime minister. They have to be tough with uh, Brussels, but I th- I think there there is a lot more critical thought around about the impact of Brexit uh, on the British economy, um, the the impact of. Liz Truss's other big signature European policy, which was to completely purge all of the retained EU law that was still on British statute books, and you've you've started to get a lot more pushback from people about what that actually means. Uh, it, it's it's seen by many uh, quarters who know how the civil service works and and how legislation works that you can't simply expunge vast reams of. Technical law on regulations or on things like uh, parental leave, uh, you can't simply expunge that, and and it automatically and magically gets filled in by another law. Um, so so that so that there's a lot more critical thought going around about Brexit, about its economic impact, uh, and uh, about the. Um, the, the so-called benefits of Brexit. The, 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 the only reference that Liz Truss made to any of this in her speech uh, as she resigned was that she had hoped that there would be radical new growth in the British economy, uh, brought about thanks, quote-unquote, to the benefits and freedoms of Brexit. Uh, and that has probably got more of a derisive snort from various quarters than would have been the case a year ago.
1: All right. Well, I suppose that we as we throw ahead and look at significant dates on the calendar, we will have a short listing of candidates for the UK Premiership uh, on Monday, both at four o'clock and nine o'clock if it is being whittled down. And then obviously, we will definitely have somebody in place in Downing Street on the 28th of October and the Northern Ireland Assembly deadline for elections, if there are elections to be called. they are there the significant dates on the calendar really in the next week or so, or is there anything to add to that?
0: No, I think I think that's it. I mean, everything is gonna be focused on the the process on Monday, and then on Tuesday, and then you'll have... Uh, the you well you could have a new prime minister on Tuesday if if the, if of the last two candidates one pulls out and then you have automatically a new prime minister who will that be that's the big question and what impact from our selfish narrow interests on Brexit Republic what impact will that have uh, on the Northern Ireland Protocol uh, negotiations and the wider relationship with Ireland and with the EU
1: you'll have to wait the next
0: Friday to find out all right exactly. that's it
1: for me colm O'Mungoyne RTÉ's deputy foreign editor here in Dublin.
0: And from me, Tony Connolly, RT's Europe Editor in Brussels, thanks for listening.